Hi, Creative. It's Lauren here. I just want to remind you that if you love the podcast, the best way to support the show is by leaving it a rating and review on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Actually, Spotify just started accepting ratings. So go ahead and rate it on there and tell all your friends to do it because it's super simple. It takes literally one second. I mean, maybe four seconds, but it's really quick. And uh, another great way to support the show is by sharing it with a friend or posting about it on social media. If you do post it on social media, tag me at Lauren LaGrasso and at Unleash Your Inner Creative, and I will repost to share my gratitude. And remember to tag the guests too, so they can also share. Okay, now let's get to the show. What's the best thing you've learned from doing a long-term creative project? Have you ever done one? Well, I have, and it's called Unleash Your Inner Creative. Today marks 200 episodes of the podcast. Today, I'm going to delve into some of my favorite lessons, the things I've learned about myself, the creative process, being a human, and so much more. So for the 200th time, welcome to Unleash Your Inner Creative with Lauren LaGrasso. I'm Lauren LaGrasso. I'm an award-winning podcast host and producer, singer-songwriter, and multi-passionate creative. This show is meant to give you tools to claim your right to creativity, take fear out of the driver's seat of your life, and know, trust, and love yourself enough to go after whatever it is that's on your heart. On the pod, we explore the creative process and journey, self-development, spirituality, mental health, and everything it means to be human and become more human. So as I said, today marks 200 episodes of Unleash, and I want to share some of my top takeaways from speaking with over 100 guests including Grammy Award winners. I was going to say Pulitzer Prize winners, but I don't know if that's actually true. But for sure, New York Times bestselling authors, TED Talk speakers, everything under the sun. This show has had some incredible guests, including probably my favorite guests, my parents, who, as I've mentioned several times, are the biggest divas I've ever worked with, but they have a lot of great things to say. And um, it's been my longest, it's officially my longest creative project. It's seen me through breakups and falling in love, my first pandemic, turning 30. It's been my companion for the last three and a half years. And from this show, I've learned a lot. There's so many lessons to go over. And I didn't think this, I'm going to be completely honest with you. I didn't think this through enough to make a super comprehensive list. So off the top of my head, I pick some of my favorite ones. There's so many more, like there's incredible episodes to go back and listen to. Highly recommend you go back and, and find your favorites and, and re-listen. Cause honestly, sometimes I listen back. I'm like, I said that they said that I don't remember that, but there's been just so much incredible wisdom shared um, through the guests and yeah. I really invite you to go back and find your own favorites. And I thank you for being part of this community and helping me make my dreams come true. So without further ado, let's get into my first lesson. Probably the top lesson was I started the show thinking I'm doing this because I want to help other people unleash because I am so unleashed. And what I need to do now is help other people unleash. And I knew I needed some of these topics, but I figured like I'm going for it. So I'm unleashed. (laughs) What I really realized is I'm doing this show because I need to fully unleash. I've been waiting for a permission slip to get fully unleashed in my own life. Yes, I do a lot of creative things. Yes, I am in touch with and thinking about my inner child. But there's a big, big part of me that hasn't fully expressed myself yet. And I feel like 
I secretly hoped someone would come on the show and drop some pearl of wisdom and then I would know the exact right path to take. But what I've realized is first of all, we all, and I've talked about this before, but we almost always teach what we need most or what we have needed most in the past. So that ends up becoming the thing we teach and that's okay because no one better to teach about it than somebody who's going through it themselves and who ends up in the end saying, hey, listen, I I know as much as you know, but what you have to do is trust yourself, which that's the only thing I want to do on the show is give you tools to trust, know, and love yourself enough to go after your heart because I'm trying to get those tools too. But the other thing I realize is literally a, a person could come on the show and be like, Lauren, Jesus Christ whispered into my ear last night, this is what you're meant to do and, and then you will be unleashed. Maybe then I believe them, but even then I'm not 100% sure because um, <laughs> what if they're lying? No, I'm kidding. But (laughs) what I've realized is I need to unleash myself. Like no pearl of wisdom, no amount of inspiration could happen on this show that would then suddenly make me be like, yes, now is the time to fully go after my dreams and release my fear and claim my right to creativity and give up convention and safety. This is the moment. People can inspire me. That's great. But ultimately, you're unleashing has to come from your own hands. You have to unclip whatever is holding you back and free yourself of it. And I know in some instances that's not true, but I'm not talking about like weird, dire situations. I'm talking about those of us who could create a different life for ourselves, but for some reason are letting fear hold us back in some way. Because through therapy recently, I've realized like some of like my bigger dreams, I could be starting on those now, but I'm not because of some looming doom that doesn't even exist. So it's just like, how do you talk yourself off the ledge and really tell yourself that you deserve to unleash yourself? I will let you know when I get there. (laughs) I think one thing too is like rebuilding the faith you once had when you were younger. Like I was more unleashed when I was younger because I think, number one, my brain wasn't fully developed, so I didn't have all the wherewithal I have now and all the knowledge of all the fears in the world. But on a less funny, more serious note, I think less things had wounded me at that point. So it was easier to just go out and be like, woo, let's follow my instincts. But when I think about how much better my life gets every time I do follow my instincts, I realize I should always do it. I was thinking about it, and when I was in college, I went in as a journalism major. I added on a theater major. And then at the beginning of my sophomore year, I was like, I don't think I want to do journalism anymore. I think I want to switch to communication with an emphasis in media and keep the theater degree. And so I was like, oh, I was talking on my my little flip phone with my mom. Like, mom, I don't know what to do. What should I do? What should I do? Should I switch to communication? And then I looked down and there was this sewer, you know, a, a cover on a manhole. And it said, the word communication on it. And I literally turned myself around, walked back to the communication arts and sciences building and switched my major on the spot. Like if that happened today, I feel like I've gotten a lot of glaring signs that I haven't followed. So I guess in my journey to unleashing, which I feel like I'm 80% of the way there for this level, and then I'm gonna have to unleash again, which is gonna be such a pain in the ass. But for this level, I want to start learning back that trust I once had before my brain was fully developed. What if we could get back to that underdeveloped brain who knew how to trust their instincts more because they weren't so afraid of life and didn't know so much about life? Like, can we get back to that beginner's mindset 
in our own lives and creativity because I think that that would really empower us to unleash more. This is another thing. Don't let perfect be the enemy of good. Fear of making mistakes holds you back from everything good in life. And I think a lot of what has held me back from my greatest dreams has been being afraid to make a mistake. Like, what if I say the wrong thing? What if I am not perfect at this thing, you know? And I really want to release that because if you're being held back by fear of making a mistake, perfectionism, you, we've talked about this a lot on the show, but making something is still better than making nothing. And taking some sort of leap is still better than no leap at all. And the thing is, yeah, we can all be afraid of the worst, but most likely that isn't going to happen. And if you are feeling fear of making a mistake or failing or not doing it perfectly, some of the best things you can do is actually going through what it would be like if you did make a mistake or if you didn't do it perfectly or if you did fail. Like my therapist went through this with me the other day when I'm thinking about one of the dreams that I'm going after. And she's like, okay, and then if this, and then if this goes wrong, what happens? And then if this goes wrong, what happens? And so we went all the way down. It's like the worst thing that could happen, barring any sort of natural disaster, really isn't even that bad. I mean, I think sometimes the fear of the unknown or the fear of the potential pain you might feel is worse than what the reality even would be. Which brings me to You can't fully unleash and live your dream life if you aren't willing to go through the pain of creating a new system for yourself. So so if you're not willing to go through the planning process, the thinking about what you're going to need to get in place, like let's say you want to like leap off from working your day job into your side hustle full time. Like you may need to make pricing models. You may need to make a website. You may need to think about, okay, how am I going to budget for these first few months when I'm not making as much money? How am I going to get health care? Like what like will be my main way of making money when I start out? But if you're not willing to go through that planning, which for many of us creatives can feel very, very painful, then you don't get the beauty on the other side either. And I think Don't overestimate how hard it is to go through that planning because it can't be worse than like not living the life that you want or taking at least taking a chance on the life you want. Something else that I've learned or that I'm thinking about while being a multi-passionate is great. While being a multi-passionate is great if you don't focus for at least a little while on one thing or one genre at least. I really think I'm starting to think your growth will be stunted and you'll be running around like a headless chicken. So if we're thinking about creativity like any other business, like for instance, Bite. We had Lindsay McCormick from Bite on the show. She didn't start out doing like toothpaste bits and mouthwash and deodorant and body wash. She started out with toothpaste bits. Once that became a financially viable business, she moved on to mouthwash bits and so on and so forth. There's no business in the world that's like, I sell cotton candy and pottery and bedspreads, at least not right away. Maybe they branch out to doing all those random things. But most of the time you have to have one pinpoint and then you branch out. Now, I'm not saying it can't happen. I'm not saying you can't build simultaneously. But as somebody who has tried to build at times like five careers at once, 
the movements you make when you have that many passions and are pursuing that many lives at one time are so incremental. It can feel like you're going nowhere and it can feel like you've accomplished nothing. So what I'm trying to do now, which is still really hard, is like hunker down on what do I want the most and where can I make the most impact the fastest and how can I use my voice to reach the most amount of people with the most amount of ease and joy? So for you, if you have more than one passion, thinking about those questions, what do I love most? What resonates the most and might give me the, the path with the most ease and joy and resonate the most? Um, and then once that starts taking off in a way that feels good to you or is financially viable or whatever you consider your threshold of success, then adding on those other things. Because I think there've been so many times when I've been spreading my energy so thin, doing the podcast and then producing and then music and then trying to like pursue public speaking and some writing and like trying to figure out social media. It's hard because at the same time, I want to give you the advice of don't put all your eggs in one basket because if that basket falls apart, then you're screwed. So I do think it's important to have more than one skill and I do think it's important to keep honing those skills. But then as far as where you're putting your professional efforts, I don't know. I'm starting to think that at least for a short period of time, like maybe even six months, I'm gonna, I'll am gonna i be our case study. So I'm going to try this. Give most, if not all of your energy to the one thing that you feel has the most ease, joy, and resonance, and then move on to bringing some more eggs into different baskets. (laughs) Oh, and this is the other thing about being a multi-passionate, which I don't know if many people have this, but this is my thing. You got to ask yourself if you're fighting to be all these things because it's really important to you, or if there's some part of you that feels the need for validation through others for these things, or like proving people wrong. There's a big part of me with music I love music and I love singing and I've loved it since I was little. Like I have a video of myself before I could really even string a sentence together singing Mary Had a Little Lamb or something. Was it Mary? I don't know. Some song in the bathtub. I was like one and a half. So I've loved singing since I was a little girl. I've always made up songs since I was little, like became an official songwriter in my 20s. But I've always felt like kind of an outcast in the music industry. Like I didn't belong. Like people were going to think I'm a fraud. And so part of my desire to do music is to prove people wrong. It's to be like, you didn't think I could do it? Well, yes, I can. Here's my song in People Magazine. Read them and reap. I was going to say read them and reap. <laughs> read them and weep, baby. But um, yeah, I don't think that's the best place to come from. <laughs> So I am trying to find my way back to music from the eyes of my little girl self and just seeing it through wonder and joy. And I think I'm in a pretty good place with that. I do feel still like I really want to have success in that area and and I feel a lot of drive in that area, but I have found my way back to joy. But if you have a tendency to be like me and do things almost out of not vindictiveness, that's not the right word, but like approving a needing to prove you either we've talked about this a lot on the show too is like need to realign your why or maybe you leave that thing alone for a while and then come back to it when you can be healthy or maybe you realize that was never really your dream you're doing it to either appease somebody else like make another person happy or prove someone wrong and you go on a different path 
something I've definitely learned from doing this podcast. I'm not a consistent person. It's one of my, I would say if I had to do a job interview, which this probably would make me not get the job. And it's actually not true. And I'm like in a work environment for someone else, which is interesting. That's very interesting. But I would say in my own creativity, lack of consistency is one of my greatest weaknesses. I'm actually pretty consistent at work work, as I call it, in my producing role. But yeah, I'm I'm not very consistent because I hate being boxed in. I hate being rigid. And so since consistency can feel that way sometimes, it hasn't been my most consistent. It hasn't been my most consistent thing. Consistency hasn't been consistent for me. You see? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a hard thing for me. It's one of my hardest things. I recently learned through human design, which is really interesting. There's these two arrows and basically they tell you whether you're meant for consistency or not. And whether you're meant for like routine to do the same things every day and whether you're meant to do the same things at the same time every day. And what I learned from those arrows is I'm meant for total anarchy, total chaos. So I don't feel as guilty about it anymore, but I do see the benefits of consistency. And I'm like, I wish I could have more of that in my life. That said, this podcast is the most consistent I've ever been. And what I'll say about that is consistency does build self-esteem. So the more consistent you can be with yourself in any creative project or just in your life in general, the more you do the things you say you're going to do. I mean, I've missed, I think I've only missed one or two weeks total in three and a half years. And I've been late twice. The times I was late, uh, a close family member of mine had died and I did the podcast on like Thursday instead of Tuesday or Wednesday. So it's definitely been a slog because it doesn't seem like it. It's just anywhere from a 30 minutes to a little over an hour of content every week. But to do a really good show takes hours and hours and hours of time. So this consistency has been really good for me and really built my self-esteem. And it's wild to do a project for three and a half years. Like I've never done this before. I feel like I feel like one of those, you probably don't, maybe you don't know about this. There's people who are like chorus members on Broadway who've been doing the same show for like eight years. I met a couple of them when I was in New York a decade ago. And I'm starting to feel like that. Not really though, because I'm the lead. Oh! (laughs) And it's never the same show. Improv, baby. We live for it. Yes. And that really wasn't a very good metaphor at all. I I just feel proud of myself that I've committed to something and stuck with it. And it makes me want to try something else. And I wonder if I can like reframe consistency in my head to be like something that's still like spontaneous. You know, there's there's spontaneity in the consistency. Like it's not like I'm doing the same show every week or I stick to the same production schedule every week. But every week, almost without fail, come in the beginning, it was on Tuesdays, come Tuesdays or Wednesdays. I'm putting out a show with content that I hope helps you. So yeah, it does build self-esteem. The more you can find consistency in your life, in your creative endeavors, while allowing for spontaneity if you need that, the better and the more likely it is to build your self-esteem. I think one other thing that I've learned from the show is like sometimes you don't need a full plan. Like I always think before I make any leap in my life, like I have to have every single little thing figured out. 
Sometimes you can jump. You can have the general outline. You should have some standards in place. But I think to a lot of people who have left their jobs and started a company or put out some incredible creative project or started some sort of campaign online, they didn't 100% know what they were doing. They just had the general outlines of the vision and they had a pretty firm dream in place and they just started plugging away and plugging away and plugging away. And those of us that are trying to unleash that aren't unleashed fully yet, which I do think is probably a process that continues for the rest of your life, but those of us who are trying to fully unleash a lot of the time, I think because we are, if, if we're afraid to unleash, living in that fear, letting fear take over, we just need to take fear out of the driver's seat, put it in the passenger and be like, listen, I'm going to sit here. I don't know all the directions, but I know how to get from this block to the next one. And I trust that my inner guide will take me block by block until I get to the next destination. And I think if we could all just at least you know, we know like the first plot point, but we don't need to know the whole story. We know what we want the ending to be or what we want the middle to be, but we don't need to know exactly how we're getting there. All we need is an outline to jump. One of the greatest quotes from this show that's come out of the show is the role of the artist is to alchemize pain. Christina Helena, my friend who I met when I was doing auto shows back when I was in my mid 20s, said this and she talked about it in regard to surviving pancreatic cancer. She's the youngest ever survivor of pancreatic cancer. And it just really struck me. Like the fact that as a creative, no no hardship, no pain ever happens for nothing. We can always alchemize it into some sort of creation or idea or business or words of encouragement for another person. Nothing that happens to us is for naught. We can always turn our pain into purpose and our pain into some literal creation. So that's one of my favorites. Another one that blew my mind was by my friend Mitra. She's been a spiritual advisor to me for years. She's a spiritual advisor to Jennifer Aniston, Megan Fox, Courtney Cox. But the best thing about Mitra is who she is. And What Mitra said that really blew me away is something about regret. And that is, you know, she said there have been times in her life where she regretted, you know, she was in New York when she was younger and she almost made it to Broadway, but her mom wanted her to come back home. Like she didn't want her to stay there. And she said she spent years of her life thinking, if only I'd stayed in New York, I would have gotten on Broadway and my dreams would have come true. But what she said is when you regret, you're assuming that the best possible outcome would have happened. And what she said is, I don't know. I could have stayed there and had my heart broken and totally given up on all of the joy of my life. I could have gotten sick or hurt and had a terrible life from there on out. You don't know what would have happened had you gone on the path that you thought would lead you to your greatest unleashing. Maybe you're still on your way to your greatest unleashing and for whatever reason that wasn't the path because it would have led you to some sort of heartbreak that was unimaginable. So there's really no purpose in regretting because it wasn't your journey. And what your journey is is where you are now and all you can do is focus on the future, find gratitude for what you do have and keep going toward the highest version of yourself. 
But there is no purpose in regretting because when you regret, you're assuming that if you had taken this other fork in the road, the best possible thing would have happened. And that's just not necessarily true. Another important thing I've learned on this show is from a guest named Susan Robertson. She teaches at Harvard, I believe, and she teaches about creativity and unleashing and something called negativity bias, which is our bias to say no to any new idea. And what she says is that instead of saying no instantly, you should first say what's good about the idea. Then you can go into potential challenges, but instead of saying, I don't think this will work, you can say, how will overcome it? And then the third step of overcoming negativity bias is saying what you think could be better about the idea, what you could add to the idea to make it more viable. And she said, this can increase creativity in an organization, in a company, in any sort of creative's life tenfold because you're not just constantly shutting down good ideas. You're remaining open to good ideas and taking whatever is viable out of the idea and then accounting for what doesn't quite work and how you can overcome that. So think of that next time your inner critic is like, that'll never work. Use the, the negativity bias one, two, three step method on yourself. And then when somebody else brings up an idea to you, use it on them too. Instead of just saying no, tell them what you like about it, what doesn't quite work, but what you could do to overcome it and what you would add to the idea to make it even more viable. Creativity doesn't have an age limit. I've also learned a couple things about ageism and and like my own internal ageism and potentially misogyny. I think before I did this show, and even now I still have like some feelings of it because I live in Hollywood and I'm a woman, but I felt like, you know, if you don't have everything figured out by a certain age, life is over for you. And also, if you don't have everything figured out by the time you've had kids, then you don't get to have your dreams anymore. So you've heard me beat this one over the head. That's not a saying. You've heard me beat a dead horse on this one, but it bears repeating every single guest I've ever had on the show who's had a child has had their greatest success post-child. So you do not need to be afraid of that. Man, woman, non-binary person, do not be afraid of having a child because you can still have incredible success after children and even more success probably, potentially, probably than you had before you had them because you have a, a stronger why and you don't have time for bullshit anymore. Number two about ageism and age and what's possible over certain ages is you can restart your life or even just start your life at any time. We had Raven Blair Glover on the show who, before she was 65, never made more than $10 an hour. And then at 65, got on her knees and prayed to God for her mother's life and said, you know, if you spare her, I will go after my dreams. I will make something of my life. Became a talk show host in her 60s, now runs her own media company, writes for Podcast Magazine. She's a total badass. And... I love her and I'm, ins I'm so inspired by her. Also, Karen Lee Potter, who I just had on the show in her late 40s, started over her career as a host. This is a theme, I guess. Talk show hosts. I mean, it makes sense because you're going to be able to relate to people more when you're older because you have more wisdom, more life experience. Um, but Karen Lee Potter did the same thing, you know, became a sex and dating expert and a host in her late 40s, became an author, probably in her late 40s, early 50s. She is an inspiration. And 
Oh, Mary Gaucher. Oh, my God. Her story is incredible. She didn't write any music till she was 30, didn't move to Nashville till she was 35. And or I don't remember if she was 35 or 40 when she moved to Nashville. But anyway, she didn't start making money from music till she was in her 40s. So it's pretty inspiring. Now I believe she's she's either Grammy nominated or a Grammy Award winner. But either way, she's killer and her music will make you cry. Go listen to it. But so many inspiring people we've had on the show who show us that creativity doesn't have an age limit. And at any point in your life, you can reinvent yourself. And there's power to being a late bloomer. Another lesson I learned through a guest named Jacqueline Goldis, who was about to be made partner at her law firm and ended up quitting right before that to jump off into the deep end without a plan to become an author and travel the world. And she went about two years trying to do this, didn't really have any breakthrough moments, and finally just gave it up and said, okay, God, you know, universe, I'm never going to give up. I don't care how long it takes or if it ever happens. I just want to write. Like, I just want to write and I love writing and I'm never going to stop writing. So I give it up to you and I trust like whatever is meant to happen will happen. And then like two weeks later, she got an agent that ended up landing her her first book deal. And now I think she's put out for sure one novel, has more coming out with major publishers and she's living her dreams. And something I've learned over and over again on the show is the more you can let go of the outcome, the more likely you are to have an outcome that blows your greatest expectations away. The more you can do it for the joy, the more you can release that clutching of your fate and just open up your hands for what might come, the faster, funnily enough, that you get your opportunity. But as long as you're clutching and so scared Some people, I don't know why they can do it that way, but I think there's some of us who we're too sensitive for that to happen and and us to get the thing and it to work out coming from that bad place and survive it. And for people who are really sensitive, which I feel like is most of you listening, because I feel like most of you listening are the sweetest sensitive souls that ever lived, my favorite humans. Thank you for being part of my community and listening for those of us that are highly sensitive, I think if we get it from that place of clutching, we're going to get it and just crumble. And so the more we can ease into it and relax and open up our hands to possibility and just do the creativity for the joy, the quicker the goal comes to us. And also it's always nice to let go, let God. Okay. Uh, First of all, I cannot still believe that I've gotten to interview Julia Cameron, who set me on this whole journey to think about creativity and talk about creativity and see creativity from the spiritual perspective. I cannot believe that I've had her on my show twice. So gods be good. Thank you for that. But one thing I've definitely learned, Julia Cameron's biggest thing is the morning pages, right? Which is three pages every single morning of long handwriting. So you write in a journal three pages every single morning. If I don't do my morning pages, my world crumbles. It starts crumbling and it doesn't take long. It's like one day away from the pages. I have found this to be more true than if I don't do therapy. Like nothing sustains my mental health and overall well-being more than the morning pages. I think maybe meditating because I, and I don't know because I always pretty much pair the two. And if I don't do one, I for sure do the other. But 
I guess that's my other greatest consistency is doing a morning practice. If I don't have a morning practice, my world crumbles. And and I'm not exaggerating. Like I get really depressed and anxious and I have hard times with that stuff, even with doing the pages. But if I don't have the pages, I don't have any foundation for my life. So, and it it is true that the ideas just flow through you more easily. Even when you kind of half-ass them, they they still give a lot more back to you than you give to them sometimes. And you also get great ideas just from writing things down. Like a lot of the ideas for this podcast came from on Saturday morning, my morning pages, and I'm recording this Monday. I don't know that I've learned this next one from doing the show, but just from being a more of a worldly person than I was when I first started this. I started the show in 2019 and the first episode aired right after I turned 30. I feel like I've lived 15,000 lives since then. But anyway, I've gotten to be close to a lot of very talented, very big personalities and brands both on the show and off and uh, in real life. And just, I met a lot of people over the last few years. And one thing I've definitely learned is just because somebody is more successful by the world standards doesn't make them better than you and doesn't mean they deserve more respect. And, you know, I was thinking about it from this perspective. I've been in the media industry for like eight years now. and in podcasting for almost about five, 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 six years. And sure, there are podcasts out there that are more successful, quote unquote, by the world standards than mine are, but I'm a veteran and I've been doing it longer. A lot of them, I I know the craft more. And also I started thinking about it and like some of the best singers that I know are not well known. Um, Some of the best artists that I've ever seen aren't famous. And, you know, there's something that my friend Mitra, who I quoted earlier, also said to me, she's like, some of the most talented people I've ever known in my life have a very small circle. She said, some of the most talented spiritual healers I know aren't known by the masses. But just remember that success by the world standards, while it's something that I think most or many at least of us want, It doesn't mean that you're actually better. It just means you are in the right place at the right time with talent and with the right message. And so maybe it's just a matter of time for you, but no matter what, like nobody can take away your talent. And I think it's something to remember, like the people that are doing these things at the very top are not better than you. Some of them might be, who knows, but like... I think the the bulk of them, if you've been really giving to your industry and studied your craft and been honing, it's just that they've had, either they had a bigger platform, they've had more opportunities, their, their subject matter was like catchier, they were in the right place at the right time, you know, they got in on the ground level. But just because somebody is bigger doesn't mean they're better. And I really want you to remember that as you go along your creative journey, because it's easy to think that if you don't have the world's validation or their, the outward success that you think makes you a meaningful member of whatever whatever creative path you're on, just because you don't have that 
doesn't make what you're doing any less valid. The art of being bad at something, as we get older, we forget what it's like to be bad at something because the things we do by the time we're older, we're so highly skilled at that we forgot that wobbly stage when we first started out and we only know what it feels like to be highly skilled. So when we try a new task or a new creative endeavor, it feels like shit because we've forgotten what that beginner's mindset looks and feels like. So what I ask you, myself, anyone out there trying a new thing to do, a new creative project to do is have reverence for the art of being bad at something because it's the only way you can ever get good. I don't believe in crowded spaces. I did a whole podcast about this, how candles were invented in like something BC, like 300 BC by the Egyptians and a new candle company crops up every day and no one's like, I don't know, candles are a pretty crowded space. They just let them do it. But yet with something like podcasting or music or even certain like startup companies, people will be like, oh, it's a crowded space. It's a crowded space. People just say that shit because they want to feel important, okay? And yeah, sometimes maybe it's true. But just because there's a lot of different iterations of something doesn't mean you can't still make a mark. And even if you don't make the splashiest entrance of all time, Self-expression is still a very valuable outcome of any creative project. It's the most valuable outcome. I think I've talked about it before, but I'm so grateful that during the entire pandemic, I have an audio diary of my life that I can go back and listen to be like, what was I thinking in April of 2020? Oh, let me listen to my podcast, my creative check-in. I'm sure I was talking about something that was important to me and now I can know. The art of self-expression It is 100% the most valuable thing, and you're never going to regret that, even if it doesn't have the outcome you wanted or thought it should have. Microdosing courage, also a really good lesson. (laughs) Uh, When you basically are afraid to do something, so you do it in smaller ways. So for instance, you're scared of setting boundaries, and it's hard to set boundaries with people you love because there's a lot to lose, but it's easier to set a boundary with a stranger because you don't know them, and maybe you'll never see them again. So for instance, if you have an issue with the guy who gives out parking validation at your garage at work, you can say to him, you know, I don't like the way you talk to me. You know, please be kinder. I'm, this is a very specific instance because it's something I actually did. The, the guy who gave out parking validation at my old garage at work was so mean to me. And I literally said to him one day, oh, why are you mad at me? <laughs> and then he apologized and said his son was in the hospital. And uh, and we had a nice conversation. And I said, like, listen, I'm so sorry you're going through that. Like, we talked and he was nicer from there on out. So, yeah, it's it's easier to, like, in that instance, I guess I was kind of setting a boundary, but I was also having a really honest conversation with someone who was hurting my feelings. And then it was easier to do that in my deep interpersonal relationships. So microdosing courage can be a very effective way of starting something. In your creative projects, that might look like you want to take the leap and leave your full-time job, but you don't feel ready to do that. So you take on little clients on the side and like start playing with, okay, here, I'm going to put together this different package for this person and then a different package for this person and like playing around with different prices. And then eventually you're going to feel so comfortable with that, that you can just launch into that full time. You don't have to do everything all at once. Some people have a super high risk tolerance and I'm so happy for them. I wish I were you. I don't have as high of a risk tolerance. I'm working on building that. But in the meantime, I can microdose courage so I can get there. 
And I think one other thing that the podcast has taught me is when you're open about your life and secrets, nothing and no one can own you. This podcast has made me so much more honest about who I am, almost to a fault. Like, I can't just have a normal conversation with anyone anymore. I have to get into the deep stuff now. And I have to tell them what I'm going through. I want to know what they're going through. I want to talk about our trauma. I want to talk about how we're alchemizing that pain into purpose, into a creation. But I was so much more private before this show. And yes, it is still good to keep something sacred and some things private. But when you get ahead of the secret, when you tell the world exactly who you are, it never has an opportunity to own you. When it comes into the light and you say, like, this is this hard thing for me. This is this thing I've been ashamed of. This is this thing I'm working on. The secrets don't own you and you're more authentic, basically. And so this show has really caused me to be more open with people and more authentic with people and really become my full self. Also, I never thought I could talk for like 20 minutes straight just by myself. I remember actually giving at the Girl Boss Rally back in the day, hashtag throwback Wednesday, uh, I did a, a podcasting seminar and I remember talking about how I could never do a solo episode and like, If you can do a solo episode, good for you, but I'm going to need a little bit more therapy to do that. And then a few months later, I did it, and then it felt really good and performed really well. I mean, that's another interesting thing is sometimes the episodes like that have the biggest guests, I'm not talking like a Julia Cameron, but like people with like big social followings, sometimes those episodes don't actually perform the best. Actually, I'm going to tell you the truth. Some of the episodes that have performed the best are coaching episodes because people can see themselves in those. And I haven't done that many. I'd like to do a lot more. If you're interested in one, please reach out to me. My email is at the link in my bio, at Lauren LaGrasso or at Unleash Your Inner Creative. But I think it's because people can see themselves in that. Sometimes when you're looking at someone who's 50 steps ahead of you, it feels so impossible to picture yourself in their shoes. But when you're seeing somebody who is in your same position or maybe just like three steps ahead of you, it's easier to picture yourself going in that direction. So remember that you being yourself is powerful. Like some of my solo episodes are also my best and most downloaded episodes, but also like ones where I'm just talking to another creative heart to heart and helping them get through something. These coaching episodes are some of my biggest ones. So yeah, I think anything where you show the most humanity people resonate with. And I have loved how this show has helped me become more myself. And you have helped me become more myself too. I guess the best thing I've learned about unleashing your inner creative though, to circle back to my first item, is it's an inside job. You can let all these people inspire you. You can hear their stories. And I hope you get tangible tools week after week to learn to love yourself and trust yourself and know yourself and claim creativity and and take fear out of the driver's seat. But at the end of the day, Loving yourself, trusting yourself, and knowing yourself is an inside job. I think I know myself really well. I think that's the part where I was talking about the secrets. Like, I've really gotten to know myself. I'm pretty honest with myself about my shortcomings. I'm pretty honest about my what I'm good at, what I need to work on still. Self-trust is the hardest thing. What are my tips for self-trust? Well, I think that the staying consistent is a good tip. Because the more you do what you say you're going to do, 
for yourself. Like I said, I'm consistent at work because I know there's a consequence of me not being consistent there. Like I could lose my job and I'd lose my credibility. But if I'm not consistent with something with myself that no one's counting on me to do, no one asked me to do, and maybe some people even actively don't want me to do, if I'm not consistent with that, there's no punishment. Like no one's going to be mad at me. I'm not going to lose money. Like, you know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? So I think that the biggest thing with self-trust is keeping your word to yourself on things you say you're going to do over and over again. And then you start to realize you can trust yourself. Also putting yourself in good rooms where you feel like you can be yourself, not like shape-shifting and putting on masks for everyone you're around, like being choosier about the people in your life, following your instincts. Like when that little voice inside of you says to do something instead of being like, eh, I'm just going to push you down, listening to that and seeing what happens. And these are all things that I'm actively working on. I'm not there yet, obviously, but I'm getting closer, as Billy Joel would say, getting closer, getting closer. I don't have all the answers yet, but I'm getting closer. Billy Joel from his album, The Bridge. Very good album. Underrated. Yeah, but that that one of keeping your word to yourself, I think, is probably the biggest one and the hardest one because you don't want to keep your word to yourself out of fear, which is why I think I... I'm so consistent at work because I'm scared to not be consistent. But I can't, I have to keep my word to myself, okay, to circle it back because I love myself and have enough self-esteem, like think I am deserving enough to keep my word to myself. So the self-love thing, I think, you know, is being gentle with yourself, is talking to yourself. This is how I'm working on it in myself because this is still hard for me. Putting my hand on my own chest and being like, you're okay, you're enough, you're doing great. Um, knowing you don't need to earn anything, knowing that you're worthy just for being who you are, you know, talking to yourself as if you are your five-year-old self, not berating yourself and beating yourself up, being as gentle with yourself as you can while still encouraging yourself to go after your dreams, doing these morning pages, doing these morning practices so that I don't go through the day just getting hammered by life so that I at least when the hammer ha- comes up I at least have some sort of shield between me and the hammer it's not like hitting me and impaling me eating nourishing food having a relationship with some sort of spirituality for me is really important not always prioritizing other people's demands on me like not always going to my inbox and being like, oh, what does this person want from me? And answering that email first before coming and recording my podcast or recording a song or whatever it is that I'm wanting to do. Or just even resting. Like resting is a huge one that can help you increase self-love. Just resting and breathing. Oh my God, this is the biggest one. You all have to go watch this video by Tignatan. He just recently passed away, which is very sad, but he was... I believe a monk and just like an incredible spiritual advisor and teacher. And he asked, somebody asked, um, how, how do you love yourself? And he said, well, it's easy to love yourself. You just have to breathe. This is a literal quote, breathe and remember you have a body. And this is something that has kept coming up. Like, I think I've felt very detached from my body. Maybe you do too. I think a lot of women do. Um, because we have so much weird, I mean, a lot of people do in general, but I'm speaking from my experience as a woman and my friends who are women, like, I feel like there's a lot of feeling of like, oh, our, our body's supposed to fit into this teeny tiny box. And if it doesn't, it's a bad body. 
And I don't think even the teeny tiny people feel that their body is good because there's never enough when it comes to physical appearance in our culture for women. But anyway, like it's very easy to feel disconnected from your body. And sometimes I honestly feel like I'm like floating above my body. But I heard it twice in one week. One time it was this psychic on Elise Lunin's show pulling the thread that said that the soul enters the body upon the first breath. So if you just breathe in, it's like your soul gets settled back into your body. So like take a few nice breaths with me so our soul can get settled back into our body and we can love ourselves. So here we go. It's wild that that's all it takes, but I feel like a completely different person now. I feel like all the energy that was spinning in my head has been pulled down through my feet. And anyway, Tignatan said it's like the body is the seat of the soul. And if you forget you have a body, if you're not like feeling into like where you're carrying things in your body and like being gentle with your body and breathing and like bringing that energy back it's very easy to be disconnected and not loving with yourself. So I guess the first step to loving yourself is just breathing and remembering you have a body and that it's your birthright to be creative. And so I hope that these 200 episodes have helped you, helped you feel less alone, helped you unleash in some way, helped you find a way to be more yourself and love yourself a little bit more and trust yourself and know yourself. Thank you as always for listening, for being a friend of the show. If you like what you heard, please remember to share the show with a friend, post about it on social media, tag me at Lauren LaGrasso and at Unleash Your Inner Creative, and I will repost to share my gratitude. Definitely leave us a rating and review. It helps so much. As you know, podcasts are free and that's kind of how you pay us is through these ratings and reviews us podcasters. You can leave that on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, all the places. Yeah. My wish for you this week is that you breathe and remember how worthy you are and love yourself a little bit more. I love you and I believe in you. Talk with you next week. <laughs>